Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The One, and it is brought to us by guest speaker, Crystal Tulos. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Crystal Tulos. Well, in life you meet uh, a lot of people, and sometimes you meet some people who are really special. And you know when you do, you got to hang on to them. So I'm getting ready to get, introduce a guest speaker to you that was really a special person. She, you've, already, you've already met her. But as they told their story, their romantic story, to illustrate a sermon point I was making a few weeks ago and did a fantastic job. I know you enjoyed it. Then you heard her husband, Tyler, speak for us about three or four weeks ago. And uh, they, they are special people. I'll tell you, anybody, Boston, Massachusetts is one of the most secular places in the world. And if you can go there and build a church and, and that, that, that is growing and reaching its community, you're doing something right. So it's my great honor and privilege to introduce to you Pastor T- Crystal Tullus. Tulos Tullus. You get it right, okay? Thank you. Well, how's everybody doing today? Y'all doing good? Yes, my name is Crystal, like Pastor Phil said. Come on, why don't you keep that round of applause going for your pastor, Pastor Phil and Sherry. You guys have some amazing pastors. Come on, you can do better than that. You have amazing pastors who have gone the distance with longevity, and you've lived in a legacy, and you just don't meet many pastors. I've been in the local church ministry now for about 20 years, and it's very rare to find pastors who go the distance and go into their 60s still faithful before the Lord. So I hope you know how blessed as a congregation that you truly are. Amen. It is Tyler and I's greatest hope that we will follow in their footsteps. I also want to take a moment and just honor all of the team here, everybody who's running service production back there and the worship team and uh, our kids team for all of that. Just it takes so many people to run a local church and to be open on Sundays. And you guys do an amazing job reaching your community. We have been enthralled by the BCC community and the kingdom empire that you guys have built over the years and literally when we we met your pastors and saw all that you've done Tyler and I just really just with jaws dropped just like oh my goodness look what they have done look what God has done through them it's really just an amazing field that you have plowed and you have planted and you have harvested from all of these years and so well done BCC give yourselves a round of applause we're so honored to know you and to do life with you. Tyler and I have four kids. He was here a few weeks ago. We got to come. We brought our kids, and they made a mess here on the front row uh, with you. And I brought a picture of my kids for you. Just kidding. You don't care about my kids. We can all just pretend like we think everybody else's kids are cute. Can we just be honest today? Yes. And we're like, oh, that's so cute. No, but you don't care about nobody else's kids except your own. Amen. Yes. Any honest people feel like being honest in the house of God this morning? Yes. But we do have four kids, three boys and a little girl on the end. 13, 11, Wait, I'm going to get this wrong. 13, 11, 8, and 4. No, 5. That's how you know you have too many kids when you can't remember 
their names or their ages, and they make a mess everywhere we, we go. We call them the zoo. That's who they are. It's just like we roll deep, join along with us. Uh, and so when we were... Um, when they were little, we would go to the grocery store. Anybody ever shopped with their kids before, like grocery shopping? Well, so did we used to, and that's why I started using Instacart. They deliver my groceries to me now. It was such traumatic experiences so often that I said, this is insane. I'm not going to do this anymore. And so groceries get delivered. But back in the day when they were little, we'd say, oh, this will be fun. Let's get out of the house. Let's go grocery shopping. And it was generally a little easier uh, when I could put them all in the basket with me, the cart, but as they got too big for the cart and they could no longer stay within my control, it began to be torture for me. And so um, we'd, we'd be in the cereal aisle, it would kind of go like this every time we'd go shopping, we'd be in the cereal aisle, you know, convincing our children that no, they could not have Captain Crunch, Fruity Pebbles, uh, Frosted Flakes, and fruit, uh, you know, Cinnamon Toast Crunch all in the same shopping trip. You get to pick one, one bad cereal for you today. And we'd look up and all of a sudden, I, I would notice that one of my kids was missing. One, two, three. Let's count them again. There's a lot of them here. One, two, three, four. Tyler, where is, and it would always be my second son, Campbell, missing. Campbell, where is Campbell? Has anybody seen Campbell? Check down the aisle. So we'd start looking down the aisles. Anybody seen Campbell? Campbell! And Tyler's got him trained to a whistle. So he'd start doing this insane, obnoxious whistle through Target. I mean, or wherever we were grocery shopping. And I can't whistle, so I wouldn't be whistling. I'd just be calling out like a lunatic, Campbell! Campbell! And, you know, you're starting all kind of calm because you don't want anybody to judge you for being a bad parent, for losing your kid. So you're just like, Campbell! And then he's still not answering. You can't see him. And so now we've looked through the whole store. And how many of you parents know this sinking feeling that I'm talking about? It goes from two minutes to five minutes, and you literally are freaking out. I'm running to the lady with the microphone. Give it to me myself. I am going to find my kid with this loudspeaker. Campbell, tell us if you are in the store, please report to your mother at the front of the desk. Still no Campbell. You're seeing other people who are not concerned about what you're concerned about. And you're like, could you please put down the peanut butter and help me find my son? Call the CIA, call the FBI, lock the doors. My kid is missing. Now, at no point in any of these multiple circumstances, because there have been multiple times that Campbell has gone missing, have I ever looked at my other three children and said, ugh, it's no big deal. I got three more. It'd actually be nice to offload one of them. No, I'm doing a head count. One, two, three. There's one missing. There's one not here. So, Wit, put down the Twizzlers. I don't care about the Twizzlers right now that you want. Bennett Claire, I don't care that you want that box of Twinkies. That is not what is important to me right now. What is important to me, what is my most singular focus in this moment, is the one that is not here. Can I tell you, we usually always find Campbell poking holes in the cellophane in the fish department. Yes, that was my kid that put the hole in your fish. We always find him. But can I tell you for that split second that he's missing, 
nothing else matters. How many parents do you know what I'm talking about today? This is what I want to come and preach to you today. Because I believe the same tension that we experience when one of our own goes missing is the same tension of heaven that our Father in heaven experiences when he looks on the world and sees his sons and daughters who are not where they were originally intended to be, right next to him in the shopping aisle. All of heaven's singular focus is on the one. And that's the main thought that I have for you today that I want to spend some time for you considering is all of heaven, our Father in heaven's singular focus is on the one. Look at your neighbor to the right and say, the one. And then look at that other person you didn't want to look at today and say, hey, I'm talking to you. He's on the one. Come on, we're gonna, at Story Heights, we just, we talk to each other. Do y'all talk to each other here at this church? I want to show you this thought today out of scripture in Luke uh, chapter 15. And here we are in the midst of this book. And I want to give you a little context. Jesus is just doing what came most naturally to him. He wasn't preaching a sermon. He wasn't in the garden praying. He was doing what was he was most natural at. And here in Luke 15, he's just sitting with people and having a good meal. This is our Jesus. He's just sitting and enjoying. And the religious leaders of the day started griping and complaining about him. You know, if he's so holy, if he's the Messiah like he says he is, what is he doing sitting and eating with those sinners? Y'all heard my Texas accent come out right there. Did you notice that? Eating. If he's really the Messiah, how could he just be sitting there with the sinners? Look in verse chapter 1. Uh, chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 says the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, eating, even eating with them. Now you have to understand in the Jewish context who you ate with and how you ate and what you ate determined if you were clean on the inside as well as the outside. So there was all of these rituals, all of this uh, pompous circumstance around the meal that you had. And here Jesus is with tax collectors and people who were the outcast of this day. And he was reclined back at a table eating with them. How could a religious and a righteous person such as Jesus, claiming to be who he is, be sitting with tax collectors and sinners and people who are the, the least of these in our society today? And here's Jesus. And so in response, Jesus tells three stories of things that are lost. He, he hears their complaints and he says, you know what? I need to correct your understanding about what matters to my Father in heaven, about what my priority is while I'm on this earth. So he tells three stories of his singular focus of his Father in heaven. One was on a lost sheep who had wandered away, one on a lost coin who had been misplaced, and one on a lost son who had walked away. And you know, maybe you're like me, anybody raised in the church, like since from the time you could breathe, you were just in the house of God, good three of you. Anybody else feel like participating with me today? Anybody else born and raised in the local church, okay? Right here with me. And I don't know about you, but in my church, we talked about the lost like they was really bad like the enemy. They're just lost people in the world. And the wicked people just do really awful things. And you ought to hide your kids and hide your wife because the lost people are going to get them. Right? 
This was the idea about the lost. And I just want to correct some bad, stinking thinking as it goes to this. For us, lost does not mean wicked or bad or wrong or worse. It just means that they are someone who is not where they were originally intended to be. That's what lost means. Lost people are God's creation who haven't yet properly identified their relationship with their creator. Lost people are sinners in need of finding. And I don't know about you, but I've been lost in need of someone to come find me before. We can't, as people who are born and raised, breathing in the house of God, forget that at one time we too were lost. We, thank you, preach it. I like that man right there in the back. We can't forget that we needed a Savior, that every day you and I are supposed to approach the Lord with fear and trembling about our salvation. Amen? And the good news is that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. His is his singular focus, and that's why he tells these three stories to help people who are misunderstanding this. The first story, I want you to read it with me in verse 3. He tells the story of a lost sheep. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Make sure you pay attention here to both the direction and the duration of the shepherd's actions here. Verse 5, he goes on, he says, And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I want you to take notice of the celebration there because the singular focus on heaven is on the one who wanders away. And then he goes on to just really get this in. The second story he tells is the parable of a lost coin. Read with me in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and, and she loses one. Now in the Jewish context, these ten silver coins were her dowry. It would be talking about a bride. They had ten silver coins that would, they would bring into the marriage. It was all they would ever contribute to the marriage. And in our modern day currency, it would be worth each coin about 16 cents. But Jesus is saying, this is all she has. This is her thing that is most valuable to her. And imagine this woman loses one of her silver coins. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Verse 9, and when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Again, focus on the celebration here. The singular focus of our Father in heaven is on the one. 
And then he goes on for a third story here, and it's about a lost son who willfully walks away from the father's house. And for time's sake, we're not going to read it here, but if you don't know the story, if you're new to the Bible, what happens is there's two brothers that are in the father's house, and the younger brother, he feels entitled to his inheritance before his father dies. And back then, that was a huge, a huge cultural no-no. But he walks up to the father, and he says, hey, give me what's mine. I want to go live the way I live. And so he he takes his money and he goes and he squanders his entire inheritance living the way he wants to live, partying, living it up, just waste it all away until one day a great famine hits and he has nothing left and he has so little that he's sleeping where the pigs sleep and eating what the pigs sleep and it dawns on him one day, whoa, 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 my master, my father's slaves have it better in the house than I do and I'm the son. I know what I'll do. I'll go home and I'll ask for my father to work for him and so he goes goes off and the scripture says that while he was a long way off somebody with me today somebody want to help me preach while he was a long way off the father says he saw him coming he picked up his rope he ran to his son and he said welcome home my son is found what was lost is now here and he takes the son he strips him of his pauper clothes he puts a ring a robe around him and the signet ring back on his on his hand and he says hey rejoice with me because what was lost is now found my son is home because his singular focus is on the one. Now, where I want to zero in, because what's interesting, what makes this story different than the first two, is the last part, the part B of this story that Jesus makes sure and tell. Look in verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. So the older brother, who had stayed faithful, here's the party going on. And he asked one of the servants, he says, what's going on? And your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, you know, all these years I've slaved for you, and never once have I refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all of that time, you never gave me even one young goat for the finest of feasts for me. How many of you are thinking about your kid that's a spoiled brat right now? <laughs> Yet when this son of yours, this son of yours, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Do you understand why the older son was so upset? He did not share the singular focus of his father. See, he didn't miss his brother the way the, way the father missed his son. He might have missed the good old days when they wrestled in the field together, but he did not feel the nagging anxiety that the father felt every night that he went to his second son's bedroom and saw that he was not there again. Night after night, can you imagine the father wondering and worrying, where is my child? Is he alive? Is he sick? Does he need me? Come on, all of you fathers, can I under understand and identify with this? 
And when we lose sight of the Father's heart, we lose sight of his mission. We lose sight of what matters most. We begin to feel entitled to what is ours when we start, stop paying attention to what the Father cares about the most. And you and I, as children of the light, must always be concerned with who's in the darkness. Just going to let that sit there for a second. You and I who are children of the light must be concerned about who's in the dark. Because you didn't get called into the light so that you could celebrate yourself. You got called into the light so that you can see into the dark. And today the message that I wanted to deposit to you, Bethany community, is we cannot get safe and comfortable in the pen with the 99. We can't get safe and complacent with the nine coys that are tucked safely in the bride's hand. You and I cannot become entitled and feel like we are deserved something because we've stayed faithful in the house. No, our heartbeat must always stay passionate about the singular focus of heaven, and that is the one. And so my question for you to consider today is do you share the singular focus of your Father in heaven? If we call ourselves Jesus followers, then we must follow him in his mission to seek and save that which is lost. This is why we moved to Boston to plant Story Heights Church in Newton. We were on church staff of a mega church, about 10,000 members worldwide for about 10 years. We had a great life. That's where my husband's from, from the South. Crawfish boils, LSU Tiger, game day, tailgate and fun. We were the party house, all of our, I mean, Christian party, and of course, but the party house, you know, everybody come over and play cards every weekend. Our kids growing up together, our kids going to Christian private school, mom and dad, in-laws are in. We'd have Christmas and Thanksgiving every year together, and, you know, maybe more holidays than I'd prefer with my in-laws, but, you know, that's beside the point. The point is, is we had a comfortable, wonderful life until one day the father begin to mess with our comfort a little bit. And as I looked around, I saw that even though I worked on a church staff, I did not know a single lost person. I didn't, I didn't have dinner with them. I, I didn't know where they lived. I didn't know their names. I had no opportunity to be around them. When I looked to my right and to my left, all I saw were other found people. And it began to bother us. And so as the Lord began to, it was a long three-year process, as the Lord began to deal with our hearts about church planting, because we really believe the hope of the world is the local church. Jesus is the Savior, but if we don't operate week in and week out, where are people going to come to find and to meet him? And so as we begin to, to let the, the Holy Spirit deal with our hearts about church planting, we looked in the comfort of the Bible belt, and I'm going to be honest with you, even though some might be called there, the one prayer we prayed was, Lord, just not the South. Because as we saw it, we saw there were plenty of churches doing plenty of good work. 
And as we looked at the statistics of New England 10 years ago, the only thing that we could see, although there were incredible ministries like Bethany Community doing kingdom work here, we simply could not ignore the fact that there were not enough. And so as we began to pray and the Lord began to put Boston on our hearts and we had no idea, we didn't know a single soul here. But as we began to pray and, and say, yes, God, wh whatever you ask from us, we will do. As we sold everything we had except for our house because it would not sell and God still told us to move with our house still on the market. And as we pulled our U-Haul three days later into I-95 with our two children with no jobs, no health insurance, and no security, no financial backing, all we could think about was the one. We may not be a huge church, we thought to ourselves, but if we reach one, we've been obedient. If we meet one person who doesn't know church, who doesn't do church, who's never thought about church, church is not what they need. But if they could meet us, who are children of the light, who have Jesus living on the inside of them, if they could just have dinner with us, maybe we could have a great influence into their lives. Then we will have been obedient. And I'm going to tell you, all of our friends and family found it so curious and actually straight up offensive that we would leave. What do you mean? Do you understand how hard it is? I'm going to be honest with you. No, we didn't. We had no clue. Do you understand that you won't just be able to come over on Saturdays like you've used to be? Do you understand that you're going to be a plane ride away and not just a car ride away? Do you understand how expensive it's going to be? Do you understand how much it's going to cost you? Do you understand that what you're doing is weird? Do you understand that you have a southern accent? Do you understand that Bostonians aren't necessarily the most friendly people and are just going to let you in? Do you understand that churches there are going to be like, oh, good luck. We literally had people tell us, you will not make it go home now. Pastors. But can I tell you the number of ones that we have encountered? Can I tell you about the first people that joined our launch team? Can I just tell you this for a minute, Pastor? Can I have two minutes to tell this story? Can I tell you about the two people? One was an ex-Wiccan, grew up in Dorchester. She's a Wiccan, like did blood sacrifices in her bedroom to place curses on her ex-spouse. Her husband, or partner at the time, was an ex-pimp. We pull up. She had moved to Mississippi. She had gone to a church down there because they offered free Starbucks. And over a course of time, she gave her life to Christ. So when she came back to work, to Dorchester for her work, she was like, there are no churches down up here like this. She would go to the ARC website, where an association of related churches. She would go to their website every single day and look for a church close to her. We were never there. Till about six months in, we had finally got our Story Heights Church dot on the map in Newton. And she ran through her triple in Dorchester. Her mom and stepdad lived in the bottom, she lived in the second floor, and her sister lived in the third floor. And at 6 a.m. in the morning, she ran through her triple. They're here! They're here! They're here! She emailed me that story about 7 a.m said, me and my family, if we can do anything to help you, please let me know. 
Those were our first ones. We started with four, went to a park in Watertown, said we're going to have our first meeting. Tyler is reading Luke 15 about the 99. And both of them, Tracy and Scott, they sit on the park bench and they're weeping. They're like, we were the one. And God sent you up here for us. I'm going to tell you something right now. At that moment, I was like, I don't care if Story Heights Church ever becomes a thing, but my move was worth it. My move was worth it. And over the years, we've met so many people who have given their life to Christ, so many people who have rededicated their life to Christ. In Newton, we rent out a little $10,000 a month, 4,000 square feet shop to have church in. And every day, people of all colors and backgrounds walk in and just hear the greatest story ever told. We keep it real simple at Story Heights. There's a God in heaven who's on a rescue mission for your life. I want to ask you today, who's your one? You know, we're not all called to sell everything we have and move across the country and start a church. But we all are called to focus on the one in our own backyard. And I want to ask you, who's your one? And before we close today, I want to give you just a few, few things to put in your pocket, walk away, because if you feel the invitation to join God on his mission, to start singling in on his focus for your life, for his mission for your life, if you recognize that I'm in the light and I need to pay attention to what's in the darkness, I've got four things that I want you to jot down. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these four things on what to do for the lost, how to be about the lost. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to look for the lost. This seems so simple, doesn't it? But we actually can get so busy with our own lives, so focused and self-centered on our own lives that we stop looking. There are people in your workplace. There are people inside your own home. And instead of getting offended by them, can we maybe lift up our heads and go a little higher with our perspective and realize they are not where they were intended to be and I have the opportunity to bring them into the light. Look for the lost. Second thing, and then we see that, I want to point this out. Jesus said, won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness to go search for the one that was lost. We've got to search, amen? You've got to be in your play dates, in your homeschooling, in your work, in your car, all around you. You've got to be searching at all times. When you do that, your perspective will change. Second thing we've got to do for the one is we've got to be careful with the one. When he was talking about the woman with the coins, Jesus said, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search, say it with me, carefully until she finds it. We've got to be careful with the one. What do I mean by this? Colossians 4, it says, be wise with outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. You and I have to be careful. We've got to be diligent. And we've got to make sure that we're not judging people. When you're living in the darkness, my friends, you don't know you're in the dark. I remember when we said we were going to move up here and people were like, but there's so many lost people. Aren't you afraid that your kids are going to become like them? 
Well, no, because I'm the salt of the earth. I've got the preservation on me. And if I don't go, and if we don't get out of our comfort, and we're not careful with them. See, many times we go into an environment with lost people, and we think we've got to be so different so that they'll receive Christ right then and there. But my friends, they don't know that what they're doing is wrong. They don't know that how they're thinking is not in line with the Father yet. They don't know these things. And so if we're not careful and we preach when we shouldn't or we stay silent when we shouldn't, you've got to let the Holy Spirit direct you at every time, at every step. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important. He's the power. He's the anointing. He's the one that will give you the words that you don't know what to say when you should say them. We've got to be careful with the one. The third thing that we've got to do is we've got to love the one. When we look at the father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He was looking. He was being careful. And he said, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. What do you see here? The principle of the one. Because you've got to love the one. You've got to be full of kindness and compassion. When is the last time that you wept for the lost. When is the last time when someone was not how they were supposed to be to you that instead of getting offended, you went into your back room and you you cried because you know it breaks the father's heart how lost they are? I'm glad you're safe in the the pen with the 99, but the one's not here. And so instead of being entitled, you can't treat me like that. You can't say that to me. Well, when God gets here, he's going to reap judgment on all of you. Don't say that. Lightning's about to strike. Well, if you went to my church, you'd get your life right. I'm glad you're safe. The one's not here. We've got to love. We must be kind. We must be filled with compassion. Fourth thing we've got to do as it relates to the one, not only should we look for them, not only should we be careful with them, not only should we love the one, but we also, Jesus showed it perfectly here. We've got to spend time with the one. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to him teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with sinful people, even eating with them. Do you associate with lost people? And I know many of you are in here and you've recently come to Christ and you're like, I don't know what to do with all of my lost friends. I'm not them anymore. I don't do what they do anymore. I don't think the way they think anymore. I'm not sure what I should do. I can't be around them. Here's the mistake that we make. We run to the 99 so that we won't sin. Keep me safe from sin. Keep me safe. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? I paid it all. I gave you my Holy Spirit. I put the fire of God in you. I put the peace of God in you. I put the message of God in you. Don't come to the pen. Go back out and reach more. There's more people that need to know what you know. So can I ask you a question? Do you open your house to the one with no agenda? 
I know people who are like, okay, we're going to have a dinner party, and we're going to invite all the lost people we know, and into the second course, bam, we're going to give them the salvation gospel. Do you know the Lord and Jesus Messiah right here over salad and breadsticks? People know when you have an agenda. And people know when you're being authentic as well. These people, just let this, these people wanted to be around Jesus. He was perfect. And they flocked to him. They were cussing. They were drinking. They were smoking. Imagine them. They were the unrighteous ones of the day. And they wanted to lean back with the Savior of all mankind and tell another story. And you know what? Jesus wasn't weird. He was just normal. Now, I'm not saying that you become the world. But I am saying you better be comfortable with those that he puts in your path. Because if they always feel like they have to walk on eggshells around you, that's exhausting. And they're not going to want to come around you anymore. Jesus is the one who does the waking up. We're the one that does the shaking up. What's so different about your life? Why do you have peace? Why aren't you freaking out? Everybody else is freaking out. What's going on? If we're lucky, they'll ask us. They may never ask. But if we will continue to pray and continue to keep our singular focus on the one, God might just bless us with a great story one day. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for all of you, for all of us. Because I'm going to tell you something. Even nine years into this church plant and moving across the country, I still have to be careful that I don't get comfortable in the pen with the 99. We live in a great house now. We've built our business. We've built our church. Things are easy. And I have to fight the temptation. Will you do more? Will you go again? Will you take up the cross? Will you invite them over? Will you stand up for me? We speak up. We go to them. We cancel your busy schedule and say, I'm coming to your house for dinner if they ask you. We have to fight that temptation. And so what I'd ask you to do is just bow your head and I want you to just give the Holy Spirit a moment to speak to your heart. I know he's been moving in the service. I feel his spirit and I, I just want to ask you if, if that's you today and you say, that's me, Crystal. I've been too safe in the comfort of the found, I need to get my focus back on the one. If that's you, would you just say, raise your hand when you pray. I want you to pray for me. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Lift it up high. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Dozens of hand back here in the right corner. Anybody else, you just say, that's me, pastor. I need to focus on the one again. I want to pray for you, but before I do, I want to give those of you, because I realize that I'm speaking to someone. I felt this in the morning as I was driving here from, from my house. I felt the Holy Spirit say there are people like the coin who are lost inside the house. And maybe you've been hiding it. Maybe you can talk the talk. But you know in the heart of your hearts, in the deepest recesses, you're not walking and talking the walk for real. 
can you just hear the voice of your Savior call out to you today, saying, son and daughter, come home. Make your peace. Repent. Turn around. Walk into my light today. If that's you and you just say, Pastor, before you pray, I need to be found in the house today. I am the one. Would you raise your hand? A couple more seconds. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Just a few more minutes. You say, that's me, Pastor. I need to give my life to Christ. If I were to die today, I don't know where I would spend eternity. I'm not sure that if I stood before my creator that he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Just a few more minutes. I want to give you the opportunity to make the best decision, the most important decision that you'll ever make. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Let's do this. Let's all stand, and we're going to pray together as a church, and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to just come into our hearts, come into our lives, give him permission to do what he needs. Why don't we all say this together? Say, Dear Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. Forgive my sin. Help me not to leave the same way I came. I believe in you, that you died for me, that you rose for me, and now I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, I pray for every person here who's heard this message. Father, I pray that you would put us on mission, that you would give us another reason to go again. Maybe we're tired, maybe we're burnt out, maybe we've gotten too comfortable, but today in Jesus' name I declare that Bethany Community Church, every person who calls themselves a part of this family will be a part of the next generation of reaching more souls, taking more ground in New England, in this community and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.